Hello, hello, and welcome to Maeve in America. This is my parents' number one choice in immigration podcasts. Hi, Mommy. Hi, Daddy. Hey, yesterday was President's Day, or as I would like to call it, not my President's Day. Isn't that clever? But, of course, Donald Trump is my president. Many immigrants took a day off work last week to protest this administration's anti-immigration policies. Not me, though. I'm a scab. No, it's just that I was doing this special episode about presidents and immigration and I wanted to find out how previous presidents acted. To do this, I needed an American history hero. So joining me as co-host is historian, writer and host of the Audible series, Presidents Are People Too, it's Alexis Coe. Hi Alexis. Hi, Mayor. Thanks for having me. I am a history hero. You're a history hero. (laughs) That doesn't mean that you did something heroic in history. Nothing. It just means like you studied really hard. I I talk about other people's acts of heroicism in a heroic manner. I want to ask, how are you? How are you doing in in this first rocky month of a new president? It's taken a toll. As a historian, it must be like a whole new level. It is. It's been both um, comforting to be a historian and have like a long view. And it's also been really frightening on a daily basis because there's some things that are completely unprecedented and that seem totally inappropriate for the office and for the country. I know a lot of people are in turmoil at the moment because especially for us, like we're doing a show focused on immigration. So immigrants like don't know what's happening or or they do. And it's really frightening. <laughs> so how do you use history to kind of help you through? Well, I think the worst case scenario, right, is that this is the end of the American experiment. This is the downfall of America. While coincidentally, I'm writing about the establishment of America, like I'm writing a book about George Washington. But what I do know, having studied all the presidents and seen these really um, challenging times or challenging people like Calvin Coolidge went through a major depressive episode and just checked out of the presidency. Then, you know, we've also the Mexican-American War, like we've invaded countries unjustly, uh, unfairly, you know, based on lies. We've done this throughout our history. Um, We've had a pushback of, of civil rights after Reconstruction ended. And so I've seen the ebbs and flows of democracy in America. And I know that we can recover. So best case scenario, this is an incredibly regressive time. And then we will try to fix things after he's gone. I still oh, think I thought you were going to have a more upbeat. <laughs> no, sorry. I will say that I think it's two to four years. I think it's two years for impeachment and possibly the twenty fifth amendment. I think that this is a this is a whole new world. Sorry. No, it's fine, and and I'm really glad that you're here because I wanted to take the long view and like see which way the arc of history is bending, and find out how previous presidents have acted on immigration. And initially, I was like, my friend can talk us through like each president. Forty five. How right. many? <laughs> One per minute. <laughs> I definitely wanted to ask you about George Washington because mm-hmm. you're his new biographer. Right. And I wanted to also talk about uh, Barack Obama. I've heard of him. Yeah. (laughs) I miss him so much. He looks so good after the breakup. (laughs) So we're going to talk about George Washington. That's coming up. And then we're also going to talk about um, our last president, Barack Obama. But we obviously can't ignore what's happening right now. No, it's impossible. Mm-hmm. So it's been four weeks since Trump. I can't believe it's only been four weeks. It feels like four years. Right. And so we know about the order temporarily banning refugees and immigrants from seven Muslim majority countries. And we know about the protests. No 
Immigration officials have arrested nearly 700 people in multi-city raids, prompting protests all week, including a national day without immigrant strike on Thursday. Also on Friday, the Associated Press reported that it obtained an 11-page draft memo that outlined what appeared to be a Trump administration proposal to mobilize as many as 100,000 National Guard troops to round up unauthorized immigrants. Now, the White House has vigorously denied the report, and the Department of Homeland Security has said the memo was a very early draft for an idea that was never seriously considered. Where does that leave us now? I mean, it's not great. There's been definitely an uptick in deportation rates. ICE has been targeting New York, L.A., Chicago, um, in what's being called an enforcement surge. It's terrifying at the moment. Many immigrant groups are holding these Know Your Rights workshops and we stopped by one at the Mixteca organization. It's basically where they inform people that like you need to create a safety plan and you need to memorize the phone number of a family member and your attorney. And also to remember that ICE has a free tracker to actually locate detainees. And I think lots of people are staying informed and even people who are not going to be directly affected are watching immigration news more than before. But I wanted to play this phone call to a friend of mine, Mo Ammer, because this really strange thing happened to him before the travel ban, just after Trump was elected. The last time I saw Mo was in Iraq. We did a comedy workshop together and he speaks Arabic. His parents are Palestinian and he was raised in Texas. So he came to the US as a Muslim refugee. That's his background. But now he's this great comedian and he tours all over with Dave Chappelle. He's always on the road. I was on this flight. I was on my way to tour the UK and I'm exhausted. But to walk in this plane and they say that I've been upgraded. I was so excited about that. And I look at seeing him sitting next to me and there he is i'm like what hold on a second is this eric trump it's like get the fuck out of here wait so he was seated next to eric trump yeah so that's one of donald trump's sons if you look at mo's instagram you can see this picture it's really funny mo is smiling he's so happy and eric trump just looks kind of like dead-eyed that's it assalamu alaikum eric my name is muhammad i happen to be muslim and i'm a stand-up comedian <laughs> I looked at him right away. I said, look, man, all this stuff I hear about a Muslim registry, you know, we're not doing that shit. So we're not going to do that. Uh, it's absurd. And, and he goes, oh, come on, man. You can't believe everything that you read. I was like, it's not what I read. It's what your father said. It's oh substantially different. <laughs> and he goes, come on, man. We're not going to do that. And then that's he shortly after that, he looked at me and ordered pork chops. And then he uh, like, it's not going to protect you from a Muslim man. I can still punch you in the face. <laughs> it's not going to. It's not going to create a force field around you, bro. And then I. Uh, and then and then he ordered a Bloody Mary and passed out. <laughs> yeah. So that's Mo Ammer. Follow him on Instagram. I would recommend it at Mo Ammer and catch him live if you can. He's hilarious. So, Alexis, when I asked you to do the show, I was like, we should do a road trip because like you go around and you study different mm-hmm. presidents and you visit their homes. And I was like, we'll do a road trip. And I assumed because we were going to be talking about the founding fathers that we would be going to Washington, D.C. No, no. So George Washington was president before the White House was built. He lived as well as John Adams in Philadelphia. That's where the president's house was. And that's what the play Philadelphia Here I Come is about. Yes. (laughs) So we met at Penn Station and then we took a train to Philly. So let's listen to that. 34th Street, Penn Station. 
Okay, shall we set the scene? So, we're whizzing past lots of buildings. This isn't much different to New York, really. We just left Penn Station, so we're right. still in New York. I see, I see. <laughs> How about we do this? How about we play a little game? Is it a pistol duel? No. Don't okay. just ignore my pistol that's resting on the table. That's, I just keep it out. It adds a certain edginess to your persona. All right, so I'm going to read you some quotes, and you tell me if they're contemporary quotes or historical quotes. Okay. All right, ready? Yeah. A nation that cannot control its borders is not a nation. Oh, I think that's probably historical. Ronald Reagan, 1986. <gasps> this trip's gonna blow your mind. <laughs> How is it possible that foreign turbulence imported by shiploads that riot in ignorance in hundreds of thousands of human priest-controlled machines should suddenly be thrown into our society and not produce here turbulence and excess? Are they talking about Catholics? They might be. Do they say human priest-controlled machines? Uh-huh. Jesus. But machines, so robots. Oh my god. Um, so I'm thinking that's like some nativist in the mid-1800s. 1835, very good. Samuel Morris, who invented the telegraph. Mm. All right, ready? Yeah. We have room for but one language in this country, and that is the English language. We intend to see that the crucible turns our people out as Americans or American nationality, not as dwellers in a polygon boarding house. So I'm going to say it's little Jeff Sessions wishing he was in the past. President Theodore Roosevelt, 1907. I love being on the train with you. It was very nice. <laughs> it was very romantic. It went so quickly. And I really liked visiting the president's house. And I found out, I, I actually think you're such a good teacher. I found out so much. Like, for example, he doesn't live there anymore. <laughs> that was where I started. It's a national historic park now. Mm -hmm. It's open to visitors. It's right next to the Liberty Bell. Everyone should go. We'll play some of the tape of our visit. So move when I was thinking about coming here last night, this is something that I grapple with every day is how I live with a man who I'm writing a book about yeah. who was this great man, the promise of the new world, who had all these contradictions, did really terrible things. And I was thinking about how slaves were immigrants. It was forced immigration. Um, and yet they were also excluded from the first naturalization laws in America in 1790. And they weren't the only people who were excluded who worked in the house we're standing in front of. So who lived in this house? Washington lived here with Martha and they brought with them about six slaves from Mount Vernon in Virginia, their plantation, and also indentured servants. There were a lot of German immigrants in Philadelphia and then they worked in the house, but they were separated. So while pretty much they were defined the same way. They were both owned by people. They weren't free. Um, people of color and white indentured servants were kept separate. And the indentured servants was the main difference that they were working towards their freedom? Exactly. And so indentured servants, they came over and um, either they couldn't afford the fare, and so they'd have to pay back their passage, room and board. So sometimes, like at best, that was a few years. But if you think about it, your life isn't your own. So there was quite a mix of people living here with Washingtons. And yet, 
if it influenced him at all, it influenced him negatively because when this first naturalization act came out in 1790, first couple of years of his presidency, our first president ever, those are among the people who are excluded. Indentured servants, slaves, it seemed to be just people he would exclude, anyone who wasn't like him, which again is this like great irony. And it, you, you always hear about this with Thomas Jefferson, these people who wrote our laws, who said all men are created equal, and then turned around and went back to their plantations. And so the first naturalization act, who was that for? It's for white men. You have the Haitian Revolution, you have the French Revolution. Those are bringing in two very different sets of immigrants. French Revolution, the people who are coming are monarchists. And what's interesting about them coming to America is they don't want to be American. They don't want to speak English. This is a, this is a layover for them in hopes that their country will return to the order they were accustomed to. And so there was resistance to them coming because they had like the wrong values? Right, the wrong values. And then Haitian immigrants, of course, were, were of color. Um, so again, difference. There was this idea of difference, but what was difference at that time? And remember, before 1790, there were no immigration laws on the books. So it's when you start to point out difference that there is difference. And it's funny to draw a parallel with today. The people fleeing Syria are people who really crave American values. Like the reason that they started the revolution was to get away from a dictator and to strive for democracy. Freedom, religious tolerance, all of those values. Um, what, what it says at Ellis Island is not quite what it said in Philadelphia. So as we were leaving, myself and Alexis, we were leaving George Washington's house in Philly and we ran into a protest. And we should point out that like, we went to Philadelphia on Martin Luther King Day. So that was, was that mid-January and it was four days before the inauguration of our new president. And what's funny is I think about that as the first protest I saw and now they're so common. Do you want to tell us what your sign says in the microphone? Thing like try to bury us, but they don't know we are seeds. It says, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. It says, tengo un sueño, which is I have a dream. Seguir soñando is to keep dreaming. It says, we may have all come on different ships, but we're in the same boat together now. Well, we're here at Independence Mall, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the greatest city in the world. And we're here to help Fight the fight. No justice, no peace. No peace. No justice, no peace. Alexis, have you been to a protest? I've never been to so many protests. You can take my entire college career in which I protested a few times, and now I've been to so many more. What's your tactic for them? Well, I now have rotating signs. I have my favorite sign, which is um, I am and then a peach with some like Trump hair on it. And then all the reasons he should be impeached. <laughs> like I listed out all the Do you know that I have violations. seen that sign, but I didn't realize it was a peach. Oh, I was it. like, I was like, I thought you were saying like, I'm Trump and this is everything <laughs> I'm doing wrong. <laughs> So it's like a really effective sign. And I'm no, a, it's just me. I'm a really good artist. No, it's just me. It makes total sense now that it's Damn explained. It. What's your feeling on protests? Like, I mean, you're doing them, so you obviously 
think they're- I think they're important. I think that civil disobedience is important as, and also of the swaying of public opinion. But I think it has to come with something else. So in addition to that, I do the five calls per day and mm-hmm. I'm in several lady activist groups. Yeah. Um, and it's been really interesting to inform myself about voters' rights and how acting locally really can make a difference. So it's encouraging in that way. I would say that the relationship with sort of my community has has gotten far more intimate and active than it ever was. I know it's hard for you because you're a historian and so you live in the past. Mm -hmm. But I want you to take off your powder George Washington wig. I want us to jump forward to 2009, the start of President Obama's presidency. A really exciting time because as a voter, it was the first time in my personal history the person I voted for was actually elected. (laughs) I wasn't here for the whole of the Obama presidency. I don't know exactly what went down, but I do want to find out Obama's policies on immigration. And that's why I've invited this gentleman to the studio. Hello, Carl. Hi, Carl. Hi, Maeve. Hey. (laughs) Carl Lipscomb, the programs manager with the Black Alliance for Just Immigration. That's correct. Could you tell us the top three things Obama will be remembered for, like his legacy on immigration specifically? Sure. I'll start with the good things, Mm -hmm. um, or the good thing. I think he'll be remembered for his executive actions on immigration, in particular the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program that made it such that um, those that arrived to the U.S. as immigrants when they were children that were undocumented were provided a means to obtain documentation such as work authorization that enabled them to get jobs, to attend school, Um, in some states to get driver's licenses, et cetera. It effectively brought a couple of million um, immigrants out of the shadows. What about the rest of his legacy? The other things Obama will be remembered for aren't as positive as DACA. I think he'll be remembered for deporting three million immigrants during his eight years in office, the most under any president in history. And in order to deport three million people, the Obama administration had to divert millions of uh, more dollars and, and resources into immigration and customs enforcement. Why did he enforce these laws so hard, like harder than even his predecessor, George W., did? You know, I think that um, in rhetoric, Obama was very compassionate toward immigrants. He said he was deporting felons, not families. Criminals, not children, gang members, not a mom who's working hard to provide for her kids. We'll prioritize, just like law enforcement does every day. But I think that um, along with that compassion, he also wanted to show Congress that he could go hard on immigration. I also think that, by and large, the problem goes beyond President Obama. Our immigration system is set up in a way that actually criminalizes immigrants. And this really goes back to the history of our immigration system. The white men that's, that uh, that started the U.S. wanted to exclude. It was done in such a way that uh, really is anti-immigrant. It seems like Bush did more than Clinton. Obama did more than Bush. And so now, certainly based on his campaign promises, it will expand under Trump significantly, right? That's what you're preparing for? Yeah. And I mean, it's just, it's so heartbreaking. President Obama deported on average 300,000 people per year. And so to imagine that it's going to get worse is just, it's very scary. And uh, many of my organization's members are, they're afraid seeing this is his legacy on immigration, which is mixed, but probably not great. 
overall. Can you speak to that? I think that there are limits to the amount of responsibilities that we can place on elected officials. They're not going to do anything unless we make them. We, we voters, those that live in the U.S., um, have to exert our power in order to get what we want. Thank you so much, Carl. That was Carl Lipscomb, and you can find his organization online at blackalliance.org. Well, Alexis, it's a bit of a sobering note to end on. I thought this was a comedy podcast. (laughs) First of all, at least you didn't have to sit next to one of the Trump boys on an airplane. Small mercies, I guess. (laughs) And second of all, because things are quite dark right now for immigration in the US, we've started to do a new segment on the show. It's something bright, cheerful or just silly. And it's called Cheer Up Charlie. Cheer Up Charlie. Eugene Merman moved here from Russia as a child and he has the inside scoop on the compromising videos that Russia has on Trump. The Russians have a lot of uh, compromising materials on Donald Trump. They have a video of Russian prostitutes cuddling Trump and whispering, it'll be okay, Donald. They have a video of Trump in 1993 trying to teach the crisscross dance to Boris Yeltsin and falling down the stairs and dislocating his shoulder. The Russians had a phone tap on him, so they have him ordering Chinese food for a big party, but saying all the things he's ordering wrong. You know, Terry, Yoki, beef, foo. They have a photograph of him doing the backstroke, but obviously wrong, and uh, he needs to be saved. They have a secret recording of Trump at a Marriott in Moscow in 2003, accidentally getting his head Uh, stuck in a bidet. One of the most embarrassing videos they have is of him playing Settlers of Catan with Steven Seagal and losing, with Trump insisting he has the longest road, even though he obviously just doesn't have the longest road. And then he denied that it was him and insisted it was uh, Steven Seagal playing Gerard Depardieu. But it's obviously Trump, and he's obviously losing. Alexis, thank you so much for co-hosting the show and helping me and our listeners understand what has led up to this point in US presidential history. Thank you. I love immigrants. You're my favorite, but I love all immigrants. (laughs) Can you help me read the credits? I will. Okay, good. Maven America is a joint production of Pretty Good Friends and First Look Media. This episode was produced by Shayna Feinberg and Alexis Coe with help from Erica Romero, Matt Chills, Lital Malad, Julie Smith-Clem, Priyanka Srinivasan and Pat Masidi-Miller who wrote our theme music. This show is engineered by Cameron Drews and Brian Pugh with music by Sending Letters to the Sea. Check out our Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at Maven America for photos of myself and Alexis with no tops on in Philly. And please share this episode with someone you think might not normally get to hear it. Look out for Presidents Are People Too. It's such a great show and it's on iTunes. It is. Our Audible channels. Mm-hmm. Oh, and on the 1st of March, we're doing a Mave in America live show. It's at Subculture, a fabulous venue on Bleecker Street in New York. And you can get your tickets at subculturenewyork.com. All right, that's it. More immigration stories next week. 